So as usual, in the beginning, it's always helpful to establish our posture, our physical posture. Bringing this kind of attention to the body grounds our attention, stabilizes it in the body. Just noticing what our posture is like and being erect but not stiff, relaxed but not so relaxed that we fall into a kind of indolence or inattentiveness. It's helpful to open the attention sometimes after we've touched base with the body just to notice how receptive awareness can be with the hearing of sounds. Sounds arise and hearing takes place spontaneously, organically. There's nothing to do, just to receive, be mindful. Hearing, hearing. Can we bring that kind of attention to the body? Just experiencing the arising and passing away of sensations in the body with that same receptivity as we receive the sounds. Receiving, allowing, being mindful of the various sensations arising and passing away within the body. And then beginning to notice whatever is most obvious, most predominant in our field of awareness. It may be the breath in the body, where we choose to begin. It might be other sensations of the body. It could be mental states, hearing, just noticing whatever is going on. with that kind of receptive attention, sometimes it's good to begin our practice with understanding what our practice is all about. This understanding reminds us of the balance that we must have in our practice between faith and wisdom, between devotion to our path of practice and comprehension of it, understanding what we're doing here. This clarity and connection and ease of well-being is not realized by striving through willpower to achieve any particular outcome, but by maintaining an open, balanced, 
relaxed, receptive, mind and heart. This open, relaxed receptivity is balanced with alertness, that energetic, moment-to-moment attention of mindfulness. Being careful not to be so relaxed that it goes into sloth and torpor, or so concentrated that our practice goes into sinking mind, or so energetic that it goes towards restlessness, which can lead to doubt. Paying attention to the balance of concentration and energy that we need in our practice. Learn what it is for you to bring just enough energy, just enough concentration to your practice. If it's too loose, bring in the intention to notice more clearly, moment to moment, If your practice feels too tight or you're striving too much, bring in the intention to relax, to be more receptive. Be careful not to strain yourselves. Know that there is nothing to do or undo. Whatever momentarily arises in the mind-body, this is all that is happening in the present moment. All that needs to be done is to be mindful of it. That's all. Nothing to change, nothing to fix, nothing to do, nothing to undo. Just to be mindful. Of course, being careful not to identify with anything that arises. Not anything in the body, not anything in the mind. Let the events, the entire show of what's happening, happen on its own. It springs up and falls back like waves. We don't need to change or manipulate anything. Just notice how everything vanishes and reappears again and again, time without end. Our grasping for things to be just the way we want it to be prevents us from experiencing it clearly. It's like a vivid rainbow, which we chase after without ever catching it. See whatever happens as this moment's ephemeral weather pattern, changing moment to moment. Nothing to do or undo, nothing to force, 
nothing to want, nothing is missing. Just be mindful moment to moment, adjusting your balance when you need to. Staying relaxed yet alert, remembering all we need to do is to just be mindful of the ever-changing present moment.
you have any questions this morning? Yes. Mm-hmm. It sort of feels like I know after the fact. Like I know, like if that I'm aware of what happened, and then I, it's like it's like a, like mindfulness happens, and then I know it. Uh huh. And I'm wondering if there's a need to know when, like I know that I'm knowing it. Mm-hmm. Mindfulness is aware of that. Mm-hmm. But then it sort of feels like after the fact. Yeah. yeah. So the question is about noting. And in the moment, there's, it seems like you're describing that there's a clear awareness in the moment of what's going on. But then the noting happens after the fact. And um, are you asking if that's necessary? <laughs> yeah, or? it feels sort of like, like unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Noting isn't always necessary. When So the guidance that we usually have from our own teachers is that if the noticing is clear, then there's no need to note, to add that extra. Um, but, you know, sometimes it happens, and it, it doesn't have to be a big deal, though. Sometimes it happens. Yeah. Anything else? back there. Yes, I have a question about meta practice, mm-hmm. which is, it's a new practice for me, and I can see it as invaluable. But my question is around the form of it, mm-hmm. listing out the four qualities and going through the series of people. Right. The purpose and value of that versus generating love within yourself and radiating that out to all beings. Mm-hmm. Sure. The purpose and value of the metta practice in terms of going through the, pro, uh, the, the various individuals, the five individuals, and using those various phrases that we use. And what about just radiating spontaneously uh, within ourselves and towards all beings? So the way that the metta practice is laid out is so that we can start with the easiest person first, and then from uh, that easiest person, we go on to the next one. So from oneself, or sometimes it's helpful, the easiest person is a benefactor. And then we try to generate loving kindness within ourselves and then radiate that out there. And when we develop enough of it, when we cultivate enough of it, then we let uh, ourselves open to the next person, the next easiest person. So we go from the easiest to the more difficult. And this is to give us a chance to develop it where it's easy first. It's like um, the metaphor I like to have in my own mind to remember is Uh, Where I live in Hawaii, there are often these waterfalls, you know, starting at the top of the mountain, when you can see it from afar, from a plain. The the rain falls, and metta is often uh, metaphored with the falling rain, you know, the gentle rain that falls on everything. So the rain falls and fills up a pool at the top of the mountain, And that pool gets filled up and then overflows into the next pool, 
comes down in a waterfall and overfalls a fall, fills the next pool, and then fills the next pool, and then the next pool, and then it goes out into the ocean. And so likewise with the use of those various individuals, um, we fill the pool of the easiest one first and let that one overflow and then go to the next one. And this is what we do as a training. But actually when we get out into life or just in our daily life, everyday metta practice that we do, we don't have to do that kind of systematic way of starting with the oneself or the benefactor and go on to the next one. We can just start with whoever comes to mind. It may be ourselves, it may be another person. Um, and then we just remember people in our family around us, whether they're difficult or not. And then we open it up to people uh, around us in the neighborhood. So in fact, sometimes it's, it's a progression of the easiest to the more dif- most difficult person or it's a progression of just with ourselves and then around us in um, ever-widening concentric circles. It can be that way. So it, it doesn't have to be as systematic um, as that way. It can be spontaneous also. And the various phrases that we use all embody or they're saying something about our goodwill in different ways. It's embodying our goodwill. We can say it May you be happy, peaceful, healthy, strong, safe, and protected. It's just different ways of embodying our goodwill and offering it out there. We can say something really simple like, I offer you my goodwill, just like that. So you can, you can change those phrases. So, so that's um, the relationship between those two. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I have a question about energy balance, and you indicated that if we have breathlessness, mm-hmm. it indicates that uh, there is too much energy. Could and be. I, and I experience uh, two types of breathlessness, I would say, uh, while meditating. Let's say in the evening, at the end of the day, there are too many thoughts. Uh, in my head because uh, I'm trying to understand what happened during the day and at the same time I'm planning for the next day. (laughs) So I feel like my mind is exhausted and it takes me time um, to calm it down. And the practice, meditation practice, that also very tiring. Another type of restlessness when I don't have many thoughts but it's a physical restlessness. That's right. I sit down and I feel like in 10 minutes that I need to change a position or I need to itch or yes. I need to do something else. <laughs> right. And it is also exhausting because what is the point of then meditating because I'm struggling with myself. So, <laughs> so you're, you're right in saying that there are two types of restlessness. Restlessness in the mind and restlessness in the body and you describe both of them really well. So how to achieve the perfect balance. (laughs) You know, first of all, it's really helpful to understand that um, we're not, most of the time we're not going to have the perfect balance. And if we just surrender to that, we'll, 
we won't be as tired in our practice because we won't be fighting what's going on. Um, so in, in each of those cases, I want to talk about how we can handle restlessness in the body. We can handle restlessness in the body by uh, allowing the container of, our, um, of the field of awareness to be bigger. So a lot of times when we're restlessness in the body, we're uh, maybe trying to focus too hard on the body or on the breath, for example. And it's like putting our energy into a pressure cooker. And, you know, it's just the body's going to fight that and it's going to feel like it wants to burst. So what's really helpful to do is open your attention so that your attention maybe is on hearing, you know, hearing the various sounds in the room or outside of the room. So with your eyes closed, you can open the attention and it can feel very, very wide, hearing, hearing. And in that bigness of the, the space of the mind, we can receive whatever is going on in the body, the various sensations of the body. So we don't have to be, you know, bring mindfulness to it in a way that sometimes we say, oh, if I'm just mindful of this feeling or this restlessness, it will go away. It's better to just let the attention be receptive rather than going out to try, going towards and trying to do something about the restless uh, sensations in the body. Okay, so yeah, so that causes restlessness to arise when we have pain in the body and there's resistance to it. So I just want to finish out about the keeping the attention really big. And so in that bigness of attention, it's more receptive so that whatever arises, pain in the body or feelings of needing to move around, we that can be noticed. Another thing that's happening in restlessness, as in with pain in the body, is the resistance to it, or wanting to avoid it, wanting it to go away, um, aversion to it. So we also have to notice what's going on in the mind, what the mind's relationship is to that restlessness in the body. So that aversion, that resistance, actually that is what tires the mind out. That's what makes us very, very um, give up, not want to do it anymore. So and if we're not noticing that, then it's liable to wither the mind. Uh, so notice the resistance, the avoiding mind, the mind that wants to make it go away, the mind that's expecting it to go away. Um, and I want to reframe something that you said, that you said that you heard in the instructions that if we pay attention to it, it will go away. Um, not necessarily. Pardon? Eventually. Eventually it does, <laughs> Steve. <laughs> Steve's comment is. Uh, it may or it may not in that moment. Um, I think 
more precisely what we're saying is that if mindfulness is brought to whatever is being experienced, pain in the body, um, pain in the heart, mind, if there's close, uh, vivid attention to it, what can be noticed because mindfulness is so clearly reflecting what's going on is that that is impermanent. That experience is impermanent. Um, it's changing. But in fact, it may change to be more intense sometimes, right? <laughs> in fact, it may change to be more uh, ephemeral sometimes. And it's just, if the mind can just notice its constantly changing nature, eventually it begins to uh, kind of know deeply the evanescence of it, how it's so ephemeral. It's really like a cloud that sometimes thickens and sometimes lightens up. And then eventually it does go away. I mean, where is the pain that you had yesterday? It's not here anymore, the pain that you had yesterday. It's a different pain <laughs> that you have today. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, that's dangerous, that expectation that it will go away. So watch the expectations. And also the, the uh, restlessness in the mind. Um, if you can, with the restlessness in the mind, I noticed that you were saying that you were trying to remember, understand what happened in the day and planning for tomorrow. Be careful not to get lost in the content of the thinking. You know, it, you may notice it automatically what the mind is thinking, but to lean into thinking more and getting into the details of the thought, or leaning into getting details of the plan for the future, that will um, make the mind more and more restless. So just notice it as a process rather than the content of the thought. Just notice it's this uh, train of thought. It's a train moving. It's just moving. Just notice the moving nature of it, the process of it. And that will help you not get lost in, you know, you don't jump on the train and run through all the cars of the train and figure out, what does this mean and what does that mean and how am I going to handle this and that. It's just being, letting mindfulness reflect the passing nature of that train moving. That's all. And that will help you. Yeah. Okay, one more there. Um, with all the inspiring Dhamma talks and the effort in practice, I'm really curious about what is meant by awakening. What is meant by awakening? What is meant by awakening? Mm-hmm. I gather that if awakening or liberation or I think nibbana uh-huh. is evolving from mindfulness practice of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. And my struggles with the silence, it can't happen without the silence. Yes, that's true. So you're talking about awakening. Just want to repeat for the recording. Awakening, and you make the comment that it can't happen without defilements. That is a very important statement. Awakening cannot happen without defilements because defilements, the unwholesome states of mind, just as the wholesome states of mind, are part of this reality, this conventional, this... Um, relative reality of being human. 
And if we avoid that, or if we reject it, or ignore it, then we're in ignorance. Awakening is awakening to the fact, one of the facts that all of this do exi- does exist in this relative realm of existence. Unwholesome states of mind, wholesome states of mind. And mindfulness and wisdom, they are awakening to this reality, to seeing this clearly just as it is. And as any one of these, either wholesome or unwholesome states of mind, are brought into view through clear mindfulness, through the bringing in of wisdom, it is seen in ever-deepening ways to be impermanent, to be impersonal, and to be unsatisfactory. And this is what the mind is awakening to, moment by moment, and in ever-deepening ways. And so from this awakening comes a very deep surrender and very deep peace in the mind. There's no longer resistance to it. There's no longer avoiding it, ignoring it. There's no longer overlaying a concept on it that is a delusion of how we think it should be, of how we want it to be. It's just seeing it clearly, awakening to that. And by this seeing clearly, there's just more and more peace in the mind. So um, there'll be more understanding through the Dharma talks and just your interaction with us in interview. And we won't understand it usually. We won't understand it all completely in one retreat. <laughs> so <laughs> takes a lot of patience. But those are really good questions. Thank you. Thank you for your practice. and. You're doing really, really well. I just want to praise you for, we all want to praise you for doing so well and being so sincere and taking that next step and having devotion to what you've committed to here. Thanks. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.